Welcome back to the Debate Without Debate podcast, a platform focused on ending polarization through conversation. Another week, another interview. Everybody, please welcome Aaron Goldman to the DWD podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Aaron, we're really excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, before we start anything really off, could you give everyone who doesn't know you already a little bit of an introduction to yourself, what you're about, what you do, all that jazz? Sure. So I'm a high school junior right now. I live in Long Island. I am a youth entrepreneur. My startups and I have been featured in numerous publications, including Forbes, Inc., MSN Money, Kidpreneurs, and some others. Um, I run DebateIsland.com, which is a leading online debate platform globally. We're basically seeking to revolutionize the way that people debate online through artificial intelligence and various technologies to help people improve their skills. I also run LostCry.com, a website that's dedicated to my great grandmother, a Holocaust survivor, and there anybody can check out her story. In addition to posting their own ancestor's story of hardship, uh, whether it's Holocaust, uh, wars, immigration, or other topics. I also co-founded a startup called Hatcher recently, where I serve as the CTO and director of strategy. Uh, the startup is going to launch soon, actually, and it basically aims to help youth entrepreneurs and and kids in underprivileged communities learn about programming, STEM skills, uh, business finance, and other things through interactive workshops. That's fantastic, dude. Uh, major props for all of that. And he's only started. 17. Yeah, and, and he's Joey's age. So <laughs> 16. <laughs> 16. Oh, my God. That's great. Ladies, he's here for you. All right. Um. <laughs> so let's let's start this off with, with what caught our eye the most, which was Debate Island. Could you talk to us a little bit about what was the genesis behind this? What inspired you to get so interested in transforming the way that we talk online? Sure. So I really agree with your mission, by the way of basically decreasing polarization through discussion and debating. Uh, so I've always had a passion for a few things. Number one, politics. Number two, technology. And number three is business. So actually in third grade, I founded my first company, which was pretty small at the time. It, it was just focusing inside of my school. It provided different um, events and things to do and activities for kids during the lunchtime. So there I learned a lot about business organizing a business, marketing, finance, et cetera. But in fifth grade, that's when I really started my, my passion for technology and STEM and just the internet. So I learned online through codeacademy.com, which is totally free, um, how to program using different languages, how to start a website. And in seventh grade, I really grew my passion for debating and discussion. And I was trying to figure out how can I really debate with anybody without Without, you know, while, while being anonymous, while be, being able to express my own opinions and have that available to anybody who wants to. So I ended up founding in April 30th of 2016, DebateIsland.com. And we, now we actually have, in addition to our public platform, which is now the second largest active online debate platform globally anywhere wow. in the world, we also have an educational platform called Online Debate Clubs which seeks to transform the way actual debate clubs debate, discuss, collaborate, and compete. So we're basically developing an infrastructure for debate clubs to go online, set up their own online debate club on Debate Island, compete with other debate clubs in tournaments that are all internet-based online, collaborate with their peers, collaborate with other debate clubs while posting lectures, assignments, homeworks, debates, and discussion, whether it's Lincoln Douglas, K 
casual, persuade me. We have formalish and formal formats. Hmm. Amazing. We we both have a background in speech and debate, and it oh, seems like cool. yeah, it seems like um, you're super interested in that. So, so that's really cool, man. It's weird how the how the community kind of interacts with each other. But uh, I'm just curious on your end, why? Um, what, how does anonymity play a role in the debate platform? A lot of times, people, um, you know, they tr- try and fear away from anonymity, or sometimes they even gravitate towards anonymity because it allows them more freedom of expression. Why, in in this case, did you choose to have an anonymous platform? Yeah. So one of the goals of Debate Island is to basically have it open to anyone, uh, whether they're in India, America, China, um, South Africa, whatever. And in order to do that, we, we don't just cater to formal debaters who want to be public. They, want to, they don't have to be anonymous. But a lot of people that are coming from platforms, social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, they, don't really, they want to debate with a, in a way that they're anonymous. They're not going to be judged by their friends or family or even work colleagues for what they say if, if they're disagreed with, for example. So they can go on debate aisle, debate totally on a casual format. They do not have to learn how to debate, you know, with a Lincoln Douglas style, but they can go to that, for example. They can enhance their skills while staying anonymous to make sure they're never judged or found out or their opinions are um, are found out from, from different people they actually know and they might, you know, have some repercussions for that. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, it sounds quite similar to, to Reddit and Discord in that fashion, where you can have a bit of that anonymity. Was that kind of the inspiration for it? Yeah, it is very similar to, I guess, social media platforms and Reddit and Quora and those kind of things in one way. But how one way that we're unique is also because we have basically five different formats to debate. So, and it's made for debate, not just like a forum or a Q&A discussion, where if you don't want to just debate casually with some people online... You can also debate using our uh, traditional formal Lincoln Douglas formal styles. And that's basically like an actual debate club format or a tournament format. So you can level up your skills. Mm-hmm. So how do you factor in uh, the sort of spectrum of, of perspectives? A lot of times we don't live in a world of binaries. It's not uh, always yes or no, or you're pro-abortion or you're against abortion um, in, in some cases. Uh, sometimes there's people who are in the middle who agree on some things and want to critique other things. How do you account for that? So a point of a debate is to obviously have a consensus to decrease polarization like your podcast wants to do and have people agree on at least one topic of a debate. So that's really based on what format you're utilizing if you're on casual, you can debate unlimitedly. You can debate for 100 years if you're alive that long, essentially. Um, but if you're on formal, you can change the amount of rounds from one round to three rounds, the time per round. So you're going to have people voting. You're going to have our artificial intelligence, Deborah AI, we call her, um, basically go and predict the winner of a debate. So you have different ways to see who won the debate, who gave better arguments, and eventually most users are actually they have some sort of ground where they do agree after hearing their arguments. Mm. It's weird because I, I started researching a little bit into AI over the break since we have such an exorbitant amount of time on our hands. Um, and it seems like it's such a interesting topic, you know, a computer determining things without human input. In your case, how does AI play a role in the debate platform? It's, it's a huge part of debate on. It's actually, we're the only debate platform that is using artificial intelligence in any capacity. 
So let me go over a little bit of what Deborah AI is first, because there's different like aspects I think it would help out the audience. So the first thing that it does it is it actually analyzes the comments and arguments of users. It tells them uh, what's the grade level, what is how how nice is your comment? Like, are you being considerate of other people? Don't be rude. Uh, don't be uncivil. For example, it can tell you if you are being rude. Uh, that's number one. Number two is it tells you, like I said earlier, who is going to probably win a debate or who, who in Deborah's mind already won a debate. Number three, which is our latest feature, is it actually, it can, it can search through your argument and it can look, what is the political affiliation of this user or what presidential candidate will he support? So we compile that per argument, but also per user. So for example, if I sign up, Aaron Goldman on debateisland.com, I can look, I can post an argument, for example, about immigration. And I can see, it's going to tell me, okay, you are a libertarian with Republican views, for example, or you're a Democrat with Republican, I mean, with um, libertarian views or, or Green Party views. And it's going to also tell me on my profile after doing like 50 different comments, you are this party and you support this candidate, like um, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, whatever. Very cool. I think one of the, the aspects of artificial intelligence is however much information you put into it, right, is, is how much more accurate it can be. I've dabbled a little bit in coding, probably not nearly as much as you. <laughs> uh, I took one intro CS class and I really That's wish impressive. I would li- I really wished I would like it more. I think it's super awesome. I just cannot sit there physically. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so how did you, especially in the beginning part, how do you go about integrating artificial intelligence, recognizing the fact that it does need a lot of information to be accurate? How do you pull that information together? Where so, do you pull how debate, yeah. so how Debate Island works is we basically rely our Deborah artificial intelligence. Um, that's the name of our, of our AI. It basically relies on various APIs, open source code, and also proprietary code that Debate Island built. And it's just for us. So we've already... Uh, we've already used, like, for example, and we're currently using IBM Watson, um, natural language understanding, as one of our APIs for Deborah AI. And we're mixing that in with open source for some different things like vocabulary, et cetera. And we're building our own code that Deborah uses. So essentially, we already have the data put in, and we're giving it, we're giving the AI, the API and AI more data, so it's going to improve over time. The way that machine learning works is over time, like you said, it improves by having more data sets. Very cool. Very cool. One thing you mentioned before is it can determine whether or not your arguments are uncivil. Yeah, I'm, very important. Yeah, I'm wondering if we could dive a little bit into that. What like what, what do you qualify as exactly. uncivil? And also, do, is there any level of censorship that's involved in that? Great question. We don't have any censorship. I'm against any censorship. We keep every single comment online. We don't let the AI, obviously, just decide, okay, let's get this guy's argument out. Because, you know, when you're building some sort of technology, you're going to probably have some sort of bias built in just automatically. And we don't want to have that happening. So we do not let the AI censor any comments. We keep the comments out, but we do provide information. For example, if we see that this user is uncivil, and by uncivil, I mean that the user is cursing, he's not being considerate, or he's insulting directly or being rude of other users. That's what uncivil means. It's going to basically warn that user, are you, do you, are you sure that you want to post this comment? Um, and it's going to warn them their score and 
after that happens, it's going to show on their Deborah AI analytics for the comment, the score on civility or civility uh, based on how the comment is. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, part of the reason why I asked this is I, I know that a lot of social media platforms are dealing with this problem right now. now. Exactly. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. And things like or, or social media platforms like Twitter are integrating some level of censorship. I wouldn't really call it the same as, you know, tossing out ideas. But uh, Donald Trump, I believe, recently passed a an executive order to kind of deal with that. Uh, and there's been a lot of issues, um, um, especially among, well, I would say both parties, actually. Uh, but I know the Republicans have had a, a big problem with political censorship. That's from their perspective. Whether or not that's true is something we can discuss. But why, I, w- I want to dive a little bit into the philosophy of, of why you chose not to censor at all. What was the thought process behind it? Can you walk us through it? Yeah, so AI, how it works is, again, as it as it has more data and more comments and arguments that it has, it will get better, but it's never really perfect. And there is inherent human bias. When you're developing a product that will, based on the data sets, for example, that you're inputting, based on the information that you're giving the AI, um, the, the threshold for civility that you want to have on the website, you're going to have bias built in. So for example, if you are a Democrat, and you have um, a Republican or an independent posting something that you do not agree with, it, there's a good chance that it's going to disagree. I mean, the AI will censor that comment. So for that reason, we do not want to go ahead and let the AI just do its own thing, censor any user comments that it, that it wants. That's just dangerous. And I don't think that our community would like that. Mm. Why? Why do you... Because I guess the reason why I'm saying this is what makes you confident in, let's say, a case? And these are extreme scenarios, of course. And I'm sure you've talked with your team about this. And I mean, I personally have thought a lot about, even on our own platform, what we give a voice to. Mm-hmm. We do want to be a platform that wants to integrate as many different voices as possible. But the trouble of that occurs when we have very fringe voices, particularly in cases of homophobia, racism, sexism, et cetera, et cetera, oppressive constructs. How do you go about navigating that conversation, especially with your team, uh, regarding the philosophy you have to, I mean, include them basically on your site still, regardless of the fact that it might still harm individuals? Yeah, so we check all of our moderators on the website very thoroughly. And if at any time we see that a, that a moderator or somebody that is able that has the access to actually delete a comment, if we see that they deleted a comment or they got flagged for deleting a comment that should not have been deleted, they're done. Like they're not going to have the ability to moderate anymore. And it's very, very dangerous when you give people who you know have bias the ability to delete comments. So we do not want to really let that happen. We make sure to have thorough checks of everybody who has that type of access to make sure that our community does not, you know, would not have their comments lead. And by the way, you know, our product is basically built for our community. We do user feedback. We do a lot of different things like that because they're the people who are using it. And when they tell us something like this moderator, for example, this never happened before, but if they ever would, this moderator deleted my comment because I'm a Democrat or a Republican, he disagreed with me. 
That's a major problem. That can't happen, not just in Debate Island. That can't happen on any platform, Facebook, Twitter, you know, whatever, whatever it happens to be. Hmm. Following along those lines, what topics have you noticed to be the most polarizing? I would tell you probably politics, probably politics, you know, because people, you know, there are so many different stances with politics. You can be an independent and then within the independent party, you can have five different parties like uh, the Tea Party, the Green Party. You have different stances in moderate Republicans, conservative Republicans, leading Republicans, liberals, libertarians, you know, whatever the stance is. So you have automatically different viewpoints, like just from starting out. Where And it's very hard to persuade people to go with your view, although it's doable. If you're a good arguer, if you're a good debater, it's doable for sure, but it's difficult. It's a good challenge. How do you go about allowing that process to continue, given that there's no face-to-face? I know that one of the benefits for, for me personally, as someone who used to be very shy, going out into public and speaking with someone face-to-face had a very different effect for me than it would online. Have you noticed that arguments can be more severe online? And also, as an addition to that, how do you still keep that level of you know, conversational format and, and let the process go through so people can you know, potentially persuade people to another opinion? Yeah, so actually, it's very interesting that you brought that up. It's not only online versus not like online, I mean, video, not video. It's actually, there's a difference between the formats. Hmm. So if you're debating in the casual format, for example, you're going to see much more, I guess, there might be one or two comments that are uncivil. Whereas if you're in a form, because you're going for a very long time, you're debating for a very long period of time, maybe months, you know, whatever it happens to be, maybe weeks. If you're in the formal whether it's Lincoln Douglas or traditional uh, format, you only really have three rounds to make your point. So you can't, you don't have any time to be uncivil. And also we judge you. People have a feel that they feel to vote. It says civility. And if people see that you're rude or you have bad remarks about the other user or whatever it may be, they're going to give you zero points for that. You don't want to lose the debate, obviously. Hmm. So that's a big thing. Gamification. Gamification can actually lead to, having more civility on a platform. And that's one of the reasons I think we're very, very civil debate on for the most part, um, much more than other debate platforms. So we're pretty civil. Then also, whether it's video or not video, you know, there was a video platform that I saw. It's no longer, uh, it's no longer up a video debating platform. And they were, they had a lot of people too, that were pretty uncivil. And I think it's because, you know, it's not really video or not video. I think it's more of, are you in person or are you not in person? Mm-hmm. If you're not in person, you can stop debating, whether it's text. You can stop the video chat if it's video. You can stop the call if it's a call. But if you're in person, we're going to run away. Mm-hmm. So you don't really want to insult other people at the end of the day if you're, if you're in person. Mm. 100%. You know, how do you, what's, hmm. you know, for for us, we really focus on conversation as a platform. We think that it's the the best way to go in order to create some sort of materializable change. That's kind of the reason why we veered away from from debate. Asher was um, more more into debate than me uh, in a traditional context, um, but we both sort of veered away from debate because we felt like it didn't have that conversation aspect. How are you sort of trying to integrate? Um, the forms of deliberative conversation into your platform without 
adding in sort of like ad hominems and attacks? Yeah. Well, a conversation, when you're starting a debate, you really have two options for a conversation. If you're going to be rude, you're going to probably be rude in the first comment. Mm. You know, it's it's a very small chance that you're going to start being rude all of a sudden. If you're a nice guy, you're not going to start being rude all of a sudden. Uh, so whenever we have any users, and we do have that sometimes, who tends to be uncivil, they are banned or they are warned. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. But again, I mean, debate island is basically 99% civil. We just have 1% or like 0.01% who are uncivil sometimes. And that's dealt with. Like they are banned. So, you know, we want to have a civil online platform. I think it's very cool that you, you've you been able to foster such a, such a you know, calm and deliberative process some adults can't even do that it's it's just like it's wild to think that that you as a 16 year old is are so mature to realize that we need these forms of platforms to actually get somewhere yeah especially in lieu of like all the stuff which is happening now um i'm sure we could dive deeper into that but there just seems to be well you guys are also i mean very very mature to make a podcast where you're basically discussing polarizing topics that's something that that's very brave because you know polarization that's a very difficult thing. Uh, people have very opposite viewpoints and that could get pretty heated. And the way that you can keep things very calm, that's a great thing, by the way, in your podcast. Thank I you, appreciate man. it. And I think part of the reason why why we do it like this and we are so focused on the polarizing topic, so to speak, is because we recognize the fact, and I'm sure you'd probably agree with this, uh, or let me know if you disagree, that these conversations are things that need to be talked about. Right, and and it oh, yeah. spans so many different. It's like the hard stuff is always the stuff which exactly. we should probably hard be conversations conversation are the ones that we need to be having, and they're oh, yeah. meant to be hard for a reason. We're meant to feel uncomfortable for a reason, and that's what I think is so beautiful about, you know, platforms like this, platforms like yours, that can facilitate those conversations, and especially you you've taken it from a, a different perspective, one that I envy a lot, being able to globalize it. In a sense, you mentioned second in the world, which, by the way, is just so incredible. And there's, there's so much value in that. And I have to say that uh, point blank um, to take your technical skills and infuse it with that. You know, um, one aspect that I guess it doesn't necessarily frighten me about your platform, but I have a bit of caution with is the aspect of gamification you talk about. Uh, in, in my own experience, I've noticed that gamifying can actually lead people in even more polarizing perspectives because being in the gray zone makes it much more difficult for people to determine who's right or who's wrong. I'd imagine that's somewhat similar for artificial intelligence as well. They might even be able to get more precise than humans can because they do have more information. But can you talk me through a little bit more about how you gamify, how you prevent gamification from overloading someone's system to just say the most outlandish thing to win? Yeah, I mean, what we mean, what we, what we mean by gamification, it's not really like, it's not like Las Vegas, for example. Yeah. I, I mean, it's very, very, it's not, it's not like anything crazy. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's it's meant to help improve the experience, not to de, uh, not to make it worse, not to decrease the experience, because we're not telling you, for example, okay, if you post the longest argument, you're gonna have more points. No, that's not right. It has to be the quality. If we see that or a user who's voting on a formal debate or a user that is a user that is reacting to a casual debate comment, if they see that, okay, this guy is really doing a great argument. He has a lot of information, evidence. There's no insulting. I'll give him a thumbs up. I will give him two points for that field. 
you know, the maximum points. And that's an important thing. We're not saying that, okay, you know, stay, stay in Tibet Island for the longest time. We're going to make more money because we're going to have uh, more people and a larger average session duration. No, we're not telling you that. That's wrong. That's, that's not, not going to happen in my mm-hmm. platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do is we want the greatest content that we can possibly have. So people can learn. Whoever is going on Google searching, you know, is Trump a good president, for example? They're going to go. They're going to see great content on our website from people, great debaters who are posting arguments. They're not going to see like 20,000 characters of like F-words. You know, it's going to be evidence, sources, and arguments. Not So we gamify to improve the experience to make great content, not just to increase our profits. Hmm. You know, there's one thing which I always sort of think about even when in, even when I'm in school you know like that rubric based success it seems like when you're writing an essay you have to follow a rubric to get those points uh, it seems like it's the same thing for for you on your platform have you ever ran into a situation where the rubric was wrong somebody wholeheartedly won the debate whatever that may mean um, but the rubric didn't account for that here's the great thing about debate island we don't really have a rubric um, because for example, with casual debate or persuading me debating or formalist debating, you know, you can debate basically like it's, you know, it's all everyone for themselves, every single man for themselves. You can debate however long you want. You can post whatever you want. There's no rubric. You can just do whatever you want. Um, with formal debating, when you get into more formal, the more formal end of the spectrum, like Lincoln Douglas, you know, um, that kind of stuff, there is a rubric. Because you're basically assigned affirmative constructive, affirmative rebuttal, you know, whatever it is. And you're going to have to, and a lot of people enjoy that, you're going to have to basically fill in those fields. And you're going to have a rubric to vote. People are going to have a rubric to basically grade you on, I guess, uh, how good is your arguments, how good are your arguments. And so I guess it's a rubric in a sense, but people enjoy that rubric. But the thing about debate on again, it's it's very flexible. We're we're basically, I mean, we have the most debating formats available out of any online platform for debate because we allow people to do what they want to do, not what we want to do. You want to debate casually, go ahead. You want to debate formally, go ahead. It's very very flexible that way. Mm. Great point. I think it's remarkably important now to because you're you're almost setting up like training grounds. Like for, for when people for go life. out. Yeah. yeah, for real life. The thing that's, I guess, different is, you know, when you're outside and you're not in a almost Pavlovian setting where you do, you know, you get some rewards. And I have to admit, like, it, it does kind of feel good when you win something, right? Same way if you get a cookie for when you win. You're getting the validation of other people. Uh, but when you get out of this setting, I hope, and I wonder if you could speak to this as to, you know, some of the user experience that you've had. When people go out into the world where it's not as black and white, it's not you win, you lose. I really don't think any argument comes down to that. Uh, how do they feel when they get off of the platform and they are IRL, so to speak? Great question. Really good question. So, again, based on our formats. <laughs> so, with casual debating, it's really meant to mimic a casual conversation. That's basically what it is. You know, it's not really voice. Instead of voice, and you can do voice, by the way. But instead of voice, you can just do text. Uh, most people, most people do. So instead of talking to your colleague um, near the coffee shop near Starbucks, you're talking online with a guy in a totally different part of the world or in a totally different state. And it's all very casual. You can debate, you know, within one minute conversations. Like this guy posts one minute, this guy posts one minute, and it, it's very. It just seems very, very simple. And basically anyone can do it. It's very simple to like 
a comment section, for example, but for debating and with more features for debating. Now, when you go into formal, yeah, it's win or lose, essentially. That's just how it works. But that's that's to mimic an actual tournament environment. Mm-hmm. And you guys, you know, you competed, I guess, or you were um, you were part of a debate club. So you probably know like what that's like if you're going to a tournament or if you're inside of a debate club, you're debating with your with your peers. There is a win or lose most of the time. I mean, who's going to get that first place trophy? So that's for people to improve their skills mainly for, uh, for formal online debating. So that's just for formal debating uh, skills. But again, casual is for anybody to improve their skills for casual debating. So you can improve your skills in a variety of different settings and formats. Hmm. What are the demographics like on your platform? And, yeah, and if so, if so, like if it is unbalanced, how do you think that influences um, the platform and the debates which you have? Well, obviously, you know, based on the country that you're from, based on your gender, there is a difference in your views sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes if you're in India, for example, you probably do have a different view of social programs or economic uh, views or political situation. Do you want to have Russia invade Crimea or whatever? Because you're right near there. Whereas if you're in America, you don't really care about that as much as an Indian might who is living in India near that situation. So we don't actually collect any information on gender. We don't know anything about that. We don't want to, you know, we're very dedicated to user privacy. We do not want to have any sensitive information, any information in our databases regarding your, um, you know, your data. We are totally, you know, we're totally anonymous and private. We really value data privacy. So I don't really know, you know, if this guy's a man or a woman who's debating in one argument, for example. I do know that the countries, and it's it's mostly United States, United Kingdom, uh, Canada, and Western European countries. We also do have a lot of Asian countries, which is good, and some South American countries as well, and a little bit of Africa. Very cool. How do you? So there's think- a lot of different perspectives too, of course. which helps the debate. Of course. One thing that we noticed when we started this is we had almost immediate global reach, but I think it was a repercussion of the fact that the platforms that we were using were accessible everywhere. Uh, How did you go about, and this is, I guess, more in the nitty gritty of of marketing uh, and also the business model side of things. How did you go about spreading the word about your platform, especially to places that aren't the States? Yeah, so to date, and this is a really, I'm very proud of this, to date, we basically have we spent zero dollars out of pocket on any type of advertising. Wow. We've done everything through SEO, search engine optimization, and word of mouth. And we're very proud of that um, to grow to like 10,000 plus users just based on that. That's incredible. We're going to continue to grow. Super cool. Uh, whether it's based on that or advertising as well. And we, I mean, most countries, they have access, especially, you know, European, American, North American. They do have internet access. There are a lot of places as well, though, that do not. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And that's something that I want to have debate. I'll donate to, to that cause of increasing internet access all around the world. Just having make sure, making sure that everybody has internet access, whether you're in Africa, you know, China, whatever it is, that you're able to debate, that you're able to go on Google.com and do research, that you're able to educate yourself and better yourself, get a job, get a career. There's a lot of platforms like Code Academy, Code.org that let people, you know, educate themselves and even get a job just through like skills for free online. And that's important. I mean, that's how I learned how to program. That's how I learned basically a lot of things, you know, business related. And I want others to be able to do that as well. 
So we want to actually donate in the future to that effort of expanding internet access throughout the world. An amazing initiative, uh, point blank. I, I don't think much more needs to be said there. I think Joe and I would both agree, and many of the listeners, I SEOs hope, would also are where agree. it's at, man. That's your your method is the same is the same thing. Which who, who's the horses in the back? Dude? This is so off off topic, but anyway. Oh, Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X. Well, that's like vi- virality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, virality. It just is genius. But he, genius. yeah, I mean, one of the things he did is he started a Reddit channel that was like, oh, what's the song that's uh, you know, my horse is in the back, and yeah. and he write, oh, you know, rodeo by Lil Nas X, uh, or sorry, not rodeo, uh, old country, old town road. Um, but yeah, very cool. Like the yeah. fact that you could spend zero dollars, but build that just a testament for anyone who's listening by the way joey and i zero money into you know advertising that's incredible that's incredible yeah and and it's just like you were saying ours slightly different uh because we don't directly have a website so we can't use the same level of seo although we have been trying to gear our titles uh for our episodes for that but for the most part ours was focused on uh tapping into the networks that we already had having them reposting sharing trying our best to create viral content and there are many different ways to get traction and so, that's a great way for like any entrepreneur in general exactly. to start a company or to start a podcast or a website you know you don't have to be a millionaire to start something i initially started to bait on with like 50 bucks for the website initially um you do not have to have you know venture capital the second that you start a website you can start a website with 20 bucks and you can grow it totally organically. That's a great way to grow. Now, eventually, once you expand, once you're bigger, you can obviously go into different marketing channels, advertising channels, etc., to increase that growth further once you have revenue. Yeah, bootstrapping. Do that? It works. It works. What's your take on the term entrepreneurship? I see, It seems like it has a, a two-faced identity. On one hand, people are, you use that term to say, hey, I'm putting in that work. And on the other hand, it's like people who put entrepreneur in their Instagram bio, yeah. but I don't know, they don't really do much. Uh, what, what's your take on the term itself? That's a great question. It's actually very interesting as well. I mean, look, with entrepreneurship, if you're not going to put in a huge amount of time, effort, um, and work into making your business thrive, you're not going to be successful. You're just not. Because to start a company, you just, you're going you're gonna to have to be working like 10 hours a day 15 hours a day at some point, like when you're really at the peak of development of a company um, on getting it to, to get the product out there, to get the product, you know, up and running. And after that, you're going to you have, you have to be doing a lot of time. You're going to have to be spending a lot of time, even after that, on marketing, further development, organic uh, traffic, a lot of different things. So if you're not willing to put the work in, you're not going to be successful. And that's just something I tell a lot of entrepreneurs. That's just the truth. You have to put the work in to be successful. But when people go on their Instagrams, on their social medias, and they say, like, listen, I'm an entrepreneur, because I'm starting this, uh, this company that's doing, you know, blah, 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 but it's not like, you're not putting any work into it. It's just like, oh, I just want this title of being an entrepreneur. Look at mm-hmm. me. That's wrong. That's wrong. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to be an entrepreneur, put the work in, start a company. Don't just sit there for a title, because guess what? Somebody's going to message you. Oh, yeah. What's your company? Okay, my company is a a b c d e f g dot com, and I have one person coming per month. What kind of entrepreneur are you? You're just sitting there on your, you know, tuchas doing nothing. That's like not <laughs> very true. You have very to put true. effort in. Yeah, yeah. I I would push back though. I think you have a very insightful point there. I think hard work does pay off, but 
my stipulation to that would be sometimes it's better to think smarter than it is to work harder. Oh, yeah. And what I mean by that, work yeah. smart. Do not work hard. Work smart. But usually working smart does include working hard, obviously. 100%. You're just yeah. not putting in as much of as much time in as just working stupidly. It's very important in anything to do, homework, school, entrepreneurship, business, work smart, not hard. But again, usually you're going to have to work hard either way. Very true. I want to touch on the business model a little bit more, um, given the fact that you really bootstrapped this entire thing and now you've garnered an audience. How have you gone about uh, you know, monetizing the eyeballs, so to speak, that you have now? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, we've been experimenting actually with a lot of different things. I can tell you this much. Our revenue has actually been up to over 2,000%. For just year to date, this year wow. and last year, which is great, and hopefully it's going to keep expanding. But we've had different monetization options. One option that we've recently put in is sponsored debate, sponsored content. Another one is charging for our online debate club solution, and also just advertising. Now, advertising that's very, very dependent on what platform are you utilizing to show to display your ads. Because if you're on one platform, they might pay you a much higher rate than another platform. So it's very important to do a lot of research before you actually sign up for stuff. I totally agree. Uh, Joey, any any final questions before we wrap up? Uh, it just seems like you always have add in, you know, a little bit of a little bit of uh, how do how do I put it? Like Jewish flair to it. Chutzpah. Exactly. <laughs> Joey and I. Exactly. Joey and I are both. We're Jewish. both Jewish. Yeah. We yeah. both have Jewish heritage. How do you think? Uh, I'm assuming you are too, since you mentioned that you have um, a history yeah, yeah. Of, of family members in the Holocaust. How do you think um, your Jewish roots influence your work ethic um, and the way that the way that you're running your business? Great question. I'm actually Russian Jewish. So, so are, are we. we. So oh, wow. <laughs> that's good. I mean, I knew by the name Baikov, so I knew yeah, by the yeah. last name and Golden. Um, but yeah, I think that being Jewish or Russian Jewish, uh, Jewish, or getting you know your heritage from if your family immigrates, for example, if you're a first generation immigrant, a second generation immigrant, you're gonna have, I think, a great work. I think most of the time because you are basically in an environment where you know, like, listen, my parents came here from the Soviet Union. Um, where they were basically racially uh, discriminated against. They came to America when they were 13 years old with the rest of my family, with my grandparents, my great-grandparents, to give me a better life and to give themselves a better life. So I'm very motivated to get a good return of investment, ROI at the end of the day. You know, I want to have, I wanna have um, them know that that's not just for, for no reason. And there is a good reason for actually coming and immigrating over here. Great. Uh, yeah, I, I echo that sentiment 150%. You're speaking the same language, my man. Yeah. I recently read a book, uh, oddly enough, about, well, not oddly enough, but it was about Israel. It's called Startup Nation. Uh, highly recommend the book if you haven't read it. Very interesting, not even just from the perspective of how Israel has become a center of entrepreneurship, but really the authors dissect almost the cultural aspects that have led many Jewish people to be uh, inclined in that capacity, fight off against so many enemies, regardless of, you know, whether or not people agree or disagree with, uh, you know, how Israel treats their people and, and other folk, which, again, th there's an important conversation to be had there. And I'm sure on your website, you, you know, people have put up that conversation. It's one of the most polarizing ones, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, I think there's something special about, about 
our people, I guess, uh, that, you know, even throughout all of what we've gone through, we can still do exactly what you're doing. I mean, you're living and breathing what I'd imagine your parents and grandparents and all those who really died for us to, to be able to be here and have these opportunities is doing. So I am very, very excited about what you're doing, what we're doing, that we were able to connect like this. Uh, and, you know, even though virtually, even though you're pretty much, you know, down the street, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> um, Aaron, I want to re- roll the red carpet out for you. Where can the people find you? What are you working on these days? Let them know. Sure. So check out debateons.com if you want to debate using a variety of formats with a huge, very civil community. Check out debateons.com. I think that you're going to love it. Also check out lostcry.com if you have an ancestor that has a story to share, whether it's the Holocaust, wars, um, Armenian genocide, whatever it is, any type of hardship. Go ahead and share your ancestor's story to preserve that story and make sure that others are inspired. Also check out my ancestors, you know, my great-grandmother's story of hardship to Zaslavsky. Uh, that's going to be on lostcry.com as well in the about section. Fantastic, Aaron. Thank you so much for your time and for Thank your you. work. Uh, and I am sure that this is the beginning of just a beautiful relationship that we can start, you know, trying to make this initiative possible. Um, that is all from us on the DWD podcast. Of course, all of our socials are in the description down below. Please go check them out. We post exclusive content on each of our platforms. We will see you when we see you, folks. That's all. Peace. Peace. Aaron, that was fantastic, Amazing. my friend.